Chapter 15 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dread, Chapter 15 Mr. Jekyll's Opinions after the return of the gentleman to the drawing-room nina at the request of tom followed him and mr jekyll into the library mr jekyll is going to make some statements to us nina about our property in mississippi which if they turn out as he expects will set us up in the world said tom nina threw herself carelessly into the leather armchair by the window and looked out of it you see said mr jekyll also seating himself and pulling out the stiff points of his collar having done law business for your father and known in that way a good deal about the family property i have naturally always felt a good deal of interest in it and you remember your father's sister mrs stewart inherited upon the death of her husband a fine estate in mississippi i remember said tom well go on well she died and left it all to her son well he it seems like some other young men lived in a very reprehensible union with a handsome quadroon girl who was his mother's maid and she being an artful creature i suppose as a great many of them are got such an ascendancy over him that he took her up to ohio and married her and lived there with her some years and had two children by her well you see he had a deed of emancipation recorded for her in mississippi and just taking her into ohio set her free by the laws of that state well you see he thought he'd fixed it so that the thing couldn't be undone and she thought so too and i understood she's a pretty shrewd woman has a considerable share of character or else she wouldn't have done just what she has for you see he died about six months ago and left the plantation and all the property to her and her children and she has been so secure that she has actually gone and taken possession you see she is so near white you must know that there isn't one in twenty would think what she was and the people round her actually some of them had forgotten all about it and didn't know but what she was a white woman from ohio and so you see the thing never would have been looked into at all if i hadn't happened to have been down there but you see she turned off an overseer that had managed the place because the people complained of him and i happened to fall in with the man and he began telling me his story and after a little inquiry i found who these people were well sir i just went to one of the first lawyers for i suspected there was false play and we looked over the emancipation laws together and we found out that as the law stood the deed of emancipation was no more than so much waste paper and so you see she and her children are just as much slaves as any on her plantation and the whole property which is worth a hundred thousand dollars belongs to your family i rode out with him and looked over the place and got introduced to her and her children and looked them over considered as property i should call them a valuable lot 
she is past forty but she don't look older than twenty-seven or twenty-eight i should say she is a very good-looking woman and then i'm told a very capable woman well her price in the market might range between one thousand and fifteen hundred dollars smalley said he had seen no better article sold for two thousand dollars but then he said they had to give a false certificate as to the age and that i couldn't hear of for i never countenance anything like untruth then the woman's children she has got two fine-looking children as i have ever seen almost white the boy is about ten years old the girl about four you may be sure i was pretty careful not to let on because i consider the woman and children are an important part of the property and of course nothing had better be said about it lest she should be off before we are ready to come down on them now you see you gordons are the proper owners of this whole property there isn't the slightest doubt in my mind that you ought to put in your claim immediately the act of emancipation was contrary to law and though the man meant well yet it amounted to a robbery of the heirs i declare it rather raised my indignation to see that creature so easy in the possession of property which of right belongs to you now if i have only the consent of the heirs i can go on and commence operations immediately nina had been sitting regarding mr jekyll with a fixed and determined expression of countenance when he had finished she said to him mr jekyll i understand you are an elder in the church is that true yes miss gordon i have that privilege said mr jekyll his sharp business tone subsiding into a sigh because said nina i am a wild young girl and don't profess to know much about religion but i want you to tell me as a christian if you think it would be right to take this woman and children and her property why certainly my dear miss gordon isn't it right that every one should have his own property i view things simply with the eye of the law and in the eye of the law that woman and her children are as much your property as the shoe on your foot there is no manner of doubt of it i should think that you might see with the eye of the gospel sometimes do you think mr jekyll that doing this is doing as i should wish to be done by if i were in the place of this woman my dear miss gordon young ladies of fine feeling at your time of life are often confused on this subject by a wrong application of the scripture language suppose i were a robber and had possession of your property of course i shouldn't wish to be made to give it up but would it follow that the golden rule obliged the lawful possessor not to take it from me this woman is your property this estate is your property and she is holding it as unlawfully as a robber of course she won't want to give it up but right is right notwithstanding like many other young persons nina could feel her way out of sophistry much sooner than she could think it out and she answered to all this reasoning after all i can't think it would be right oh confound the humbug said tom who cares whether it's right or not the fact is nine to speak plain sense to you you and i both are deuced hard up for money and want all we can get and what's the use of being more religious than the very saints themselves at our time of day 
Mr. Jekyll is a pious man, one of the tallest kind. He thinks this is all right, and why need we set ourselves all up? He has talked with Uncle John, and he goes in for it. As for my part, I am free to own. I don't care whether it's right or not. I'll do it if I can. Might makes right. That's my doctrine. Why, said Mr. Jekyll, I have examined the subject, and I haven't the slightest doubt that slavery is a divinely appointed institution, and that the rights of the masters are sanctioned by God. So however much I may naturally feel for this woman, whose position is, I must say, an unfortunate one, still it is my duty to see that the law is properly administered in this case. All I have to say, Mr. Jekyll, is just this, that I won't have anything to do with this matter, for if I can't prove it's wrong, I shall always feel it is. Nina, how ridiculous, said Tom. I have said my say, said Nina, as she rose and left the room. Very natural, fine feelings, but uninstructed, said Mr. Jekyll. Certainly, we pious folks know a trick worth two of that, don't we? said Tom. I say, Jekyll, this sister of mine is a pretty rapid little case, I can tell you, as you saw by the way she circumvented us this morning. She is quite capable of upsetting the whole dish, unless we go about it immediately. You see, her pet nigger, this Harry, is this woman's brother, and if she gave him the word, he'd write at once and put her on the alarm. You and I had better start off tomorrow before this Harry comes back. I believe he's to be gone a few days. It's no matter whether she consents to the suit or not. She don't need to know anything about it. Well, said Jekyll, I advise you to go right on and have the woman and children secured. It's a perfectly fair legal proceeding. There has been an evident evasion of the law of the state by means of which your family are defrauded of an immense sum. At all events, it will be tried in an open court of justice, and she will be allowed to appear by her counsel. It's a perfectly plain, above-board proceeding, and as the young lady has shown such fine feelings, there is the best reason to suppose that the fate of this woman would be as good in her hands as in her own. Mr. Jekyll was not now talking to convince Tom Gordon, but himself. For, in spite of himself, Nina's questions had wakened in his mind a sufficient degree of misgiving to make it necessary for him to pass in review the arguments by which he generally satisfied himself. Mr. Jekyll was a theologian and a man of principle. His metaphysical talent, indeed, made him a point of reference among his Christian brethren, and he spent much of his leisure time in reading theological treatises. His favorite subject of all was the nature of true virtue, and this he had fixed in his mind consisted in a love of the greatest good. According to his theology, right consisted in creating the greatest amount of happiness, and every creature had rights to be happy in proportion to his capacity of enjoyment or being. He whose capacity was ten pounds had a right to place his own happiness before that of him who had five because in that way five pounds more of happiness would exist in the general whole. He considered the right of the Creator to consist in the fact that he had a greater amount of capacity than all creatures put together, and therefore was bound to promote his own happiness before all of them put together. He believed that the Creator made himself his first object in all that he did, 
and descending from him all creatures were to follow the same rule in proportion to their amount of being the greater capacity of happiness always taking precedence of the less thus mr jekyll considered that the creator brought into the world yearly myriads of human beings with no other intention than to make them everlastingly miserable and that this was right because his capacity of enjoyment being greater than all theirs put together he had a right to gratify himself in this way mr jekyll's belief in slavery was founded on his theology he assumed that the white race had the largest amount of being therefore it had a right to take precedence of the black on this point he held long and severe arguments with his partner mr israel mcfogg who belonging to a different school of theology referred the whole matter to no natural fitness but to a divine decree by which it pleased the creator in the time of noah to pronounce a curse upon canaan the fact that the african race did not descend from canaan was it is true a slight difficulty in the chain of argument but theologians are daily in the habit of surmounting much greater ones either way whether by metaphysical fitness or divine decree the two partners attained the same practical result mr jekyll though a coarse-grained man had started from the hands of nature no more hard-hearted or unfeeling than many others but his mind having for years been immersed in the waters of law and theology had slowly petrified into such a steady consideration of the greatest general good that he was wholly inaccessible to any emotion of particular humanity the trembling eager tone of pity in which nina had spoken of the woman and children who were about to be made victims of a legal process had excited but a moment's pause what considerations of temporal loss and misery can shake the constancy of the theologian who has accustomed himself to contemplate and discuss as a cool intellectual exercise the eternal misery of generations who worships a god that creates myriads only to glorify himself in their eternal torments End of chapter fifteen mr jekyll's opinions